And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I've based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. If we could see the result of all that God does in every service where the Word of God is lifted and preached, we'd be dumbfounded and amazed at what God does. It's just not about uh, an attendance number on a board. How many people can you get coming faithfully to your church? The purpose of church is not for attendance. The purpose of church is for growth. But if we look in the mirror, we're not perfect either. And the truth is, again, you can't change the other person. You can't get them saved. You can't change their faults. But God can. But you can change your own faults through God's help. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, come to the end of what's best for you, Start doing what's best for the sake of the Savior. Thank you for joining me here on another episode of Sandy Creek Stirring. So glad to have you back listening today. As always, you can go to our website, sandycreekstirrings.com, to learn more about the podcast, where the name came from, get in contact with me, or browse our episode list. Of course, this is episode number 258. 258. We're going to be playing a message for you today. We don't do this super often anymore, but we do like to play messages, especially messages of those men of God who have passed away who are no longer with us. And so today I want to play for you a message that has really been a blessing to my heart. Now, this was preached, if I remember the facts correctly, this was preached during the pastor's school of, I think it was 2000, and uh, this was preached during the pastor's school. Pastors would come all together, and they would go to the First Baptist Church of Hammond, where Pastor Jack Hiles was still pastoring at that time then, there at the church, and they went there to hear from him and to learn how to be a pastor, to learn how to be a preacher, a man who had taken a, a congregation and really done an amazing work for God with it. And so... This message, when I heard it the very first time, reminded me of some things that I needed to be doing. The message is entitled, Serving Your People. Serving Your People, and it is by Dr. Jack Hiles. Now, this message is geared more towards those who are in ministry, but I guarantee you, if you will listen to this message all the way through, whether in your ministry or not, you will get something out of this message, because he will take, and through personal illustrations, will apply 
apply it to every person's life on serving those around you. This caused really a, a mental shift, a philosophy shift within my mind that, you know what, sadly, sometimes we can get so worried about ourselves and so focused on ourselves that we forget that our job in life is to serve people, serve people. And what a great message this is. I pray and hope that it'll be an encouragement and a blessing to you. As always, if you have any questions, you can email me, joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. Again, that's joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. My friend, I hope you enjoyed the message, Serving Your People by Dr. Jack Hiles. Until next time, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, I'm going to read just two verses, Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah chapter 2. By the time the week's in, you're going to be hungry for preaching, but I'm going to talk to you most of the week and unburden my heart to you. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 9. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, uh, it grieved them exceedingly. And here's the text. That there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. I want to speak tonight on the subject, the welfare of the people. I'd like for you to close your Bibles, put your pens and pencils up, and let me have a talk with you for a while about the welfare of the people. The word welfare means the health of the people, the happiness of the people, the comfort of the people, the well-being of the people. So I could say that there was come a man to seek the well-being of the people. There was come a man to seek the happiness of the people. There was come a man to seek the comfort of the people. There was come a man to seek the encouragement of the people. If you'll listen to me, I'll make you a better mother, a better father, a better husband, a better teacher, and a better pastor. Father, help me in these moments, please, to be a help to these who, who lead across the country and from across the country, may we come together to become better leaders as the Bible speaks of leaders, please. Amen. Someone asked me not long ago, Brother Hiles, what do you think is the great, this was in a question and answer session at a noontime meeting on a Tuesday. They said, Brother Hiles, what do you think is the greatest mistake of young pastors? My answer immediately was, I think the greatest mistake of all pastors, especially those who are young, is not realizing that they are to serve and not to be served. Somewhere the pastorate has been misunderstood as to who serves whom. I think it came from years gone by when I was a country preacher back yonder 50, 53 years ago. The pastors are mostly country preachers, 
churches were mostly country churches and the people had to pay the pastor with turnip greens and corn on the cob and and uh, milk and butter and things like that and so the people brought the preacher who uh, who pastored them such things to care for them now then our population has shifted a great deal and this country is mainly an urban society yet somehow we have the idea that the pastor is to be served now you listen fellas I think we ought to change the writing on your license or ordination paper instead of ordained to preach I think it ought to be ordained to serve my motto for my ministry has been for these 54 years of preaching my motto has been I will not use my people to build my work but I'll use my work to build my people my text said there was come a man who was to seek the welfare of the children of Israel that's what it's all about hey by the way Nehemiah was one of the great leaders in all the Bible all the Bible he was a man's man. He was the guy that pointed his face in Sanballat and Tobiah and said, I'm too busy, I'm on the wall. I'm not going to come down and mess with you fellas. I'm not going to join your ministerial association. I'm not going to come down with you. I'm too busy for that. You just, we, we're going to build the wall. What a man he was. What a man. And yet it said, there was come a man who was to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. A leader is one listen carefully, who is chosen to serve and teach others to serve. I said a leader is one who's chosen to serve and teach others to serve. The greatness of a man is not measured by how many serve him, but by how many he serves. A leader is one who is chosen by his followers to serve them. Most people will follow a servant. Let me say it again. Most people will follow a servant. Few people will follow one who declares his right to leadership. I think we have said too much about pastoral authority and not enough about pastoral servitude. May I give you a sentence that I think it would describe any two generations that one succeeds the other. Great works are built by servants and destroyed by leaders. You can look at most of the great churches that were built from small churches. I'm talking about the super churches in our nation's history. I'm talking about the Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga. I'm talking about the Temple Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan. Other great churches. They're built by servants. Men who cleared off the field and rented a a storefront building and made some pews and uh, and they gave themselves to serve the people and because they did the work the work uh, flourished and and grew increased in numbers and in spirit and then the fellow who had served all those years passed off the scene and I wonder how many hundreds of young men coveted his position but not coveted his responsibilities and the same work that was built by a servant was destroyed by a leader. Let me illustrate. When I was a young man, I was a Southern Baptist. I was cured of that like you were cured of alcohol. (laughs) 
I, uh, they had in those days what they called a, a district missionary. Each state had numbers of district missionaries. They divided the state into, uh, by the way, I see a few people that when I said that a while ago about it, been delivered from it like you're delivered from liquor. That uh, didn't look like you liked that. That's what the invitation is for this week. And, uh, but, uh, boy, you like it when I get mean. You know, you know some of you Pharisees are not going to have much fun this week. I'll tell you for sure. It's going to be a long, tough week for you. So every little chance you get to holler amen, you better say it because you won't get many. The district missionary was a fellow who was given a certain area of a state. His job was to scout out that area and find places that needed churches. He'd go from place to place, town to town, countryside to countryside, and he would start churches. He was literally a missionary, a district missionary. Those churches that he started soon would come without a pastor, and he would help them get a pastor. And then, then they lost their pastor the next time he'd help them get another pastor and then the next time they didn't have a pastor he'd call and suggest that he give them somebody as a pastor now then that that district missionary title has been changed and i think it's an accurate change it's been changed from district missionary to district superintendent because servants built the job and leaders have destroyed the position totally i say again great works are built by servants and destroyed by leaders. Who won World War II for us? The second lieutenants that were trained in officers' candidate school and learned to do everything exactly right, not on your life. The fellows that won the war for us were the fellows that fought in the trenches after the second lieutenants had been shot in the back. And here's the guy that had fought in the trenches. He, he's the guy that won the war. The servants won the war for us, not the big shots. Matthew 20, 27. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Try that on for size, big shot. Try that on for size, preacher boy, that's ready to blow your stack three times a week. Try that on for size, uh, pastor who's exercising your soulish muscles so you can control your people rather than serve them. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Matthew 20, 26, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Matthew 23, 11, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. In Mark 10, 44, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. But I'm not going to be your servant. You're not going to mount anything either. Every once in a while, somebody says, your people are just using you. That's all. Well, I happen to serve notice to you. That's why I'm here is to be used of my people. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister... Uh, I reckon he'd be a pretty good example for you. Never usurped authority, never sought dominance. He simply went about doing good, as the biography was in 13th of Acts. Uh, he went about doing good. Jesus of Nazareth, he came not to minister to, but to minister. Doesn't say the servant is the greatest, but the greatest is supposed to serve. 
Serving does not make you great. It is greatness. In my generation, which is so quickly passing off the scene, we had three great leaders. John R. Rice, Lester Roloff, and Lee Robertson. All three of those men I knew very, very intimately and on a personal basis. I have spent thousands of hours, in fact, 22 years I spent traveling with Dr. John Rice. Over 2,200 times I sat side by side with him on the platform where both of us preached in the same service. I know him. Dr. Rice was not a leader. First time I saw him, I couldn't believe that it was John Rice. I had taken the sword of the Lord. I had read it. I never saw such mean words in my life. Make Tom Neal look like a pussyfooter. I never saw such writings in my life as Dr. Rice wrote. And I, I pictured what he looked like. Six foot four, 280, big muscles, uh, chewed nails for breakfast, and sprinkled ground-up children over the nails. <laughs> was I ever surprised to find that John Rice was not a great leader, not even a charismatic personality, not a dynamic personality. He was just a servant. Lester Roloff, most peculiar man I ever met in my life. Most peculiar man. He literally ate ground up nails for breakfast. <laughs> and nail juice he drank as he... But Lester Roloff was a quiet man. Subdued man. Never did have a course on leadership. And by the way, never tried to lead anybody. Dr. Lee Robertson, you don't know him like I know him. And I've known him for many years. I preached 167 times for him at Highland Park Baptist Church and Tennessee Temple Schools back in his heyday. Dr. Robertson, Dr. Rice, Dr. Olaf, and brother, I said, Dr. Olaf, he got a little upset with me up in heaven. He used to say to me, Brother Jack, the way you eat, you're going to die young. I said, Brother Lester, the way you fly, you're going to die younger. I'm still here. Now, what made Lester Rola? Now, I never heard of one of them stand up and say, I'm the leader. Bible says I'm the leader. God pity you husbands. The only right you have for leadership is to show it in the Bible. And God pity you preachers. The only right you have for leadership for folks to follow you. It says here in Hebrews, I'm supposed to be the leader. God pity that the only right you have for leadership. Let me tell you why these men were leaders. Dr. John Rice knew something that others did not know, and they followed him to learn it. Dr. Robertson did something that others had not done, and they followed him to learn how he did it. Brother Olaf knew somebody that others did not know that well, and they followed him to know how to get acquainted with him. Obedience will come when you're a servant, and you know how to serve, and what to serve. Fellowship will come when you are a servant and you know how to serve and what to serve and you want the welfare of the followers and you seek their welfare and they are concerned, or, or they, are, uh, they are convinced that it's their welfare that you have in mind. I've been here for 40 years, a little over six months. I have not bossed this church. I have not bossed this staff. I have not bossed my deacon board. I have served. 
and they've chosen to follow. I've never fought for my rightful authority, my rightful position. I've simply tried to serve the people for 40 years. There's no command in the Bible to lead, none. But over and over again, there's a command to serve. And the command is always to the follower. God commanded the wife to submit herself to her husband, never commanded the husband to boss the wife. God commanded that the, that the uh, uh, people obey and follow the pastor, but never told the pastor to assume his rightful position of authority. Moses was called a servant. Caleb was called a servant. Job was called a servant. Jacob was called a servant. Isaiah was called a servant. Elijah was called a servant. Peter was called a servant. James was called a servant. Daniel was called a servant. Samuel was called a servant. The Apostle Paul was called a servant. And this is why my people follow me. I am a servant when I stand here and lead them to take what I try to give is the most impressive Lord's Supper I know how to give. I'm their servant when I stand behind this pulpit and lead my people to do, uh, do, do, do my best to lead my people. To give Jesus exactly what he had in mind when he established the Lord's Supper at the upper room 2,000 years ago. I'm serving them. I'm serving my people when I marry their young. When the night before I marry their young, if not the night before, the two nights before, I drive to the house of the bride and sit out in front and pray for the bride. Then I drive to the house of the groom and sit out in front of the house and pray for God to bless that young man most of whom I pastored for their entire lives. I'm their servant when I help prepare for a beautiful wedding. I'm their servant when I give them what I try to give, the most beautiful and impressive and sweet and happiest ceremony possible. I'm the servant of my people when I try to conduct a comforting funeral. I have no file of funeral sermons. I can't go to my file cabinet and pull it under funeral and pull out a funeral sermon and preach it. I can't. I have no file. Why? Because I never preached the same funeral sermon twice. I promised God years ago I'd never walk behind this pulpit to preach a funeral or never preach a funeral service unless I'd spent at least four hours in preparation of my message. And those in this church know that's true. I serve my people when I teach them how to have a happy marriage. I was counseling, and I mentioned this to my people Sunday. I was counseling this weekend with a couple having marital problems. I labored for two hours. And as they left, I wept because I thought I had failed. He looked at me about two-thirds into the counseling session, and he said, Preacher, don't you ever charge for this? Don't you ever get paid? This is Saturday. This is not a work. That's Saturday. Don't you ever get paid for this after two hours? Don't we owe you anything? And I said, yes, I do get paid. I said, if I can see you have a happy marriage and your children have a mom and dad that love each other, 
That's my payday. Boy, I'd love to reach out and grab you preachers tonight and shake you good and hard and say in God's name, whoever taught you we're on a barnstorming tour. Whoever taught you it's our job to beat the brows of all the people. Whoever taught you it's our job to hit him with a big club. Whoever taught you it's our job to stand up like a dictator and ruler. God called you to serve. He didn't call you to be served. Forty years and six months I've served my people as I've comforted and challenged them from the pulpit. As I've counseled with them in my study. As I've given their children fun in vacation Bible school as I myself conduct all the assemblies of vacation Bible school. I've served my people when I've struggled to keep the doors of our schools open so their children can be educated in a godly atmosphere. For forty and a half years, I've helped conduct youth conference and served my young people by trying to help the youth of America. For forty and a half years, I've anointed and prayed for the sick at the door. And over over 430,000 people have walked inside my office in the last, 50, last 40 years and six months for personal counseling. Counseling I didn't have to do. I could have said what one large, the pastor of one large church says, I counsel every Sunday morning between 11.30 and 12, and that's the only time I counsel. If you want to come and get counsel, come and hear me preach. I'll die before I've had that kind of an attitude. The people that sit in these pews are human beings. They're people I've pastored for a, a, over 40 years. They're people with burdens and heartaches and, and, and sorrows and needs and cancer and heart attacks and heart trouble and Parkinson's disease. And, and uh, they need somebody to love them. I'm concerned about our movement. I'm concerned about the term pastoral authority being excessively used. I'm concerned about preachers fighting for their pastoral authority. I've served my people. I work with the youth, our Women's Missionary Society, our boys at Little League that we have within our church here, our children's clubs, and others. I've served as I prepared sermons, and my whole life, as I also tell you, my whole life is built by trying to find the needs of my people, and never a spare moment that I have without rushing to my Bible and rushing to the needs of my people and trying to prepare for Sunday morning and Sunday night. For I, I do not, I'm not here to destroy them or hurt them or browbeat them. Not even here to make them, uh, uh, make them keep a bunch of rules that I've made in my office. I'm here to serve them. That's what I'm here for. I think you could, if you forgot and loved somebody, you could be a fundamentalist. You wouldn't be as good a fundamentalist as you would if you hated everybody, but you could be a fundamentalist if you forgot and loved somebody. I'm concerned about our movement. I'm concerned about your people not being loved like they ought to be loved. I'm concerned about you preachers that love to get up when somebody leaves your church and says, Good riddance, bad rubbish. First place, you don't believe that. If they leave their tithe, you'd be happier, but now you listen to me carefully. This man right here, chairman of our deacon board, has godly parents. His father's in heaven. His mother was here Sundays of Easter, but they, his father was on the board when I came to this church. When we had our 
withdrawal from the American Baptist Convention, his parents left our church and helped to start an American Baptist church. Do you think I'm going to make it so this man's mother and father aren't welcome in First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana? Let me tell you when a member has left this church, then they come back to visit us. They're honored guests and honored visitors. If they've been here for 20 years and given their tithe for 20 years and stood by me for 20 years and get mad one time, bless God, I still thank God for the fact they helped keep the doors open for 20 years. I'm worried about our movement. That's why I study the Bible and teach it to my people. Organize and provide a Sunday school. Pray for my people. Encourage my people. Challenge, comfort, and warn my people. I don't lead our folks. I serve them. Hear me carefully. And they follow me to get served. <laughs> Again, I say... I don't lead my people. I serve them, and they follow me to get served. Somebody said, how would you get the crowds, this big auditorium? How? And every Sunday morning and Sunday night, this building is packed, and on Wednesday night, we'll have four to 5,000 people here just to study the Bible. Somebody said, uh, how did you get the crowds? How did you build the church? I didn't build the church. He builds the church. Upon this rock, he said, I will build my church. I came here 40 years and six months ago and found a fellow who needed help. I helped him. He went and told a friend that that guy down there helped me. His friend said, I need help too. He came down and I helped him. He had a few friends and said, that, that guy down there helped me. And uh, now then, we have several thousand people every week to get, get help. Hey, your people, when they write you little notes about the sermon, they don't. they write you notes and say, Preacher, I appreciate that sermon. It's exactly what I needed. I needed. My people do not come to get led. They come to get served. This is a good advice to a school teacher. Convince the pupils you're there to serve them. You'd have a lot better attention. Parents, convince your children that you want to serve them and you'll have a lot more faithful and obedient children. Administrator, convince your children, uh, your, your uh, pupils, that you're there to serve them. You'll have a lot less discipline problems. I'm going to call a name who's not in our camp, but I'm going to use an illustration. He's not of our persuasion at all. He's a Baptist preacher, and I love the guy, and I've known him for years. His name is Herb Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Please, I hope you didn't hear. I hope you don't give him this this tape. My grandmother could out preach him. <laughs> Herb Fitzpatrick is not a pulpiteer. Hey, of course, I don't know whether he's still pastoring or not, but he's about my age. And Herb Fitzpatrick went down to the Connersville, Indiana, a town of nineteen thousand people. You know how he built a church? Hospital visitation. That's the way he built it. And he built the biggest church in Indiana back in those days, about 45 years ago, 40 years ago. Biggest church in Indiana. He just spent his life at the hospital, visiting the hospitals. Some of you fellows that would, would spend a little less time on the front nine and more time on the front, front porch of the hospital. 
you'd make a better par. I will pastor. Somebody said, Brother House, how long do you plan to stay at First Baptist Church of Hammond? I plan to stay here until I feel someone else can serve my people better. When that day comes, I will turn my pulpit to them, my position to them, because I want my people served. Until that day comes, until my people feel that someone else can serve them better, it will be the honor of my life to be their servant. At no place, as I said a while ago, at no place does God tell the husband to be the leader of the wife. At no place does God command the pastor to be the leader of the church. I think it's nice for the pastor to be the leader, but people let you lead if you're their servant. The command is always to the follower. Illustration. Sitting behind me tonight, on my right, is the world's most beautiful woman. I serve her. I serve her. I open the car door for her when folks are looking. Because I want folks to think I'm a servant. I always open the car door for her. I serve her. We eat breakfast in the morning. I go and Pull the chair out from under her. I'm sorry, push the chair under I mean, that's my job. I help, I seat her just like a waiter would seat you at a restaurant. Every meal we eat. I let her out at the door of the shopping mall. Or the store. Or the restaurant. And I go find a parking place in the parking lot and then come back and meet her inside the door. When the shopping is over or the meal is over, she waits in the lobby just like she did a few minutes ago of the restaurant, of the shopping mall. And I go out in the parking lot and get the car and drive the car back. She gets in the car. She's a spoiled brat. <laughs> I watch for her every need. She wears a ring. <clears throat> I bought her several rings, but one I had made just for her. Right in the middle of it is a half-carat diamond. There are five stones around that diamond. One is the stone for the month we had our first date. The second is the stone for the month we started going steady. The third is the stone for the month that I told her I loved her for the first time. The fourth is the stone for the month where we got engaged. And the fifth is a st stone for, this, for the month where we got married. And there's an empty place there for the stone of our, when our divorce comes up. <laughs> I show my love. I serve her coffee. Every morning I serve her coffee at breakfast as I drink my carrot juice. I tell her I love her several times a day. The other night we were sitting on the love seat misbehaving. You say at your age? Yeah, just cause there's snow on the roof don't mean the fire's out in the furnace, boy. 
they're sitting on the love seat misbehaving. And I said, sweetheart, she said, this reminds me of the old days. I said, before marriage or after. And then I said to her, I said, do you think that if we had been students at Hiles Anderson College, that we'd have been expelled? She was quiet for a while with her beautiful southern drawl. She said, Jack, thank God it's under the blood. And I just want to thank God there was no Hiles Anderson College in those days. I'm saying her, she spends her life looking for my needs and I spend my life looking for my needs, to her needs. <laughs> Hear me now. So when I make a mistake, and I often do, I have built up enough love to override and she doesn't vote me out. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have moved into a condominium uh, 10 months ago, and about nine and a half months ago, and uh, we moved, left the house we lived in for 40 years. One of the older ladies in the condominium said the other day, we're going to have to hire a chaperone for you kids. We, we had a little, uh, little park out behind uh, the house, a little garden, and uh, we, uh, we had a swing out there. We had a, a fence about that high. Nobody could see over it, so we could do what we wanted to do back there. Had one of these swings, that A-frame swings, where you uh, swing like this, you know, and, and we'd, we'd go out there and swing, and, and none of your business. What else we did? We'd smooch, neck. Pet, shall we stand for our closing prayer? <laughs> One night we're swinging, it was a summer night, we're swinging, and I heard the crickets making their noise. <laughs> you heard them. But you never heard a better likeness of the cricket sound in your life than that. And I said, sweetheart, aren't the crickets sounding beautifully tonight. She said, those aren't crickets. <clears throat> those are cicadas. I said, no, they're not. They're crickets. She said, well, up north, they call them cicadas. I said, well, down in the United States, they call them crickets. I'm going to preach this book whether you like it or not. She said, you know how they make that noise? I said, no. She said, they rub their legs together. She meant that one cricket rubs his own legs together. I thought she meant that one cricket rubs another cricket's legs. And I said, no wonder they go. <laughs> we just sat there a while and swang and it was getting a little darker and the stars were beautiful and the lightning bugs were flashing and the crickets were going 
Mrs. Hiles, about five or ten minutes later, took off her little shoe, took her foot, and put it on the calf of my leg and began to rub it like that. And I went... Ain't no cricket going to have more fun than I do. I'm going to bring the spiritual application whenever I can find one. Several months passed. Our granddaughter had had a baby giving us, no, I'll take it back. She's going to get married. This is when she's going to get married. In fact, she married, and uh, we now have great-grandchildren. But she, yeah, when she got married, our great-granddaughter lives in Texas. She wanted us to get to know her husband better, our great-grandson-in-law better. They came up for a visit. Miss Hiles and I took them out, and four of us went out to eat in a real fancy restaurant. I've forgotten the name of it, but it had golden arches over the top. And we, we had a bite, to, we went out, this, this was a fancy restaurant, I mean, real nice, classy restaurant. I sat here next to the wall, and my great-grandson-in-law sat across over here, my great-granddaughter sat over here, and Miss house sat here. The waitress came to take our order, and I always like to have fun, and sometimes I have fun I shouldn't have. <laughs> waitress took her order, and I said, waitress, before you go, I want you to know this is a very special night for us. Oh, she said, what is it? And I said, pointed to my great-grandson-in-law, and I said, this is my kid brother. I pointed to my granddaughter and said, this is my younger sister. I pointed to Miss Hiles and said, this is our mother. I said, this is a big night for us. This is mother's birthday. And we're celebrating her birthday here at your restaurant tonight. I thought the waitress would understand it. But she didn't catch it. Being a Yankee, she didn't catch it. And uh, she, uh, I, but I thought she understood, understood and would join in the fun. We ate our meal. Came time for the dessert. Here come 13 waitresses with our waitress holding a cake that big around with a big candle right in the middle. Came to our table and said, Mister, we've come to help your mother celebrate her birthday. A whole life flashed in front of me. And there we sat as 13 waitresses saying, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. They didn't sing it that well, but happy birthday, dear mother. Happy birthday to you. We drove home that night. I got inside the door, and I said, I'm sorry. And she said, about what? I said, you know what? 
Everybody thinks you look younger than I do. Everybody talks about how beautiful you are and how old I look. Or they say, your wife sure is pretty and you're looking good. <laughs> like you, when you pass by a casket, you say, you look so natural. <laughs> That's the way I get what I get. I said, you know what about? I said, I, I called you my mother. And I said, I'm sorry. My wife said, I think that's funny. And then she said, come here, big boy. She placed a kiss on me. I had to come up for air several times. She said, is that the way a mother kisses? And I said, <laughs> you see, she doesn't vote me out of the house because I have built up a life of serving her. When I make some dumb mistake like that, which is every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, <laughs> she knows I love her. She knows I serve her. She knows her desire is a, is a command as far as I'm concerned. The same is true in this church. I make mistakes. Sometimes I get in the flesh when I shouldn't. But there are people all over this building that know that old man up there loves us. And that old man serves us. Some of you fellows, you, you think you're the modern-day Elijah, you're the modern-day dumb bunny. You're getting voted out for courage's sake. No, you're getting voted out for moron's sake. Dr. Elmer Towns came here many years ago representing the Christian Life magazine to give us a plaque as being the largest Sunday school in the world. This auditorium was th this size, but didn't have the mezzanine, didn't have the overhang over here on the balcony. That time it seated only 5,000 people packed and jammed. Dr. Towns is sitting back here, right in the middle of my sermon, one of my ushers, one of the best men we have, named Tom Bennett, been here for many years. He let somebody in that door back there while I was preaching. We have a rule against that here. But he let somebody in that door back there while I was preaching, several people. And I stopped my sermon, and I said, Usher, hey, you know better than that. Let those people go out in the hallway. We have uh, speakers out there. They can hear it out there. You know not to let folks in while I'm preaching. After that display of Christian love, <laughs> he went out, took the folks out in the hallway. As soon as the service ended, Elmer Towns walked up to the usher and said, Sir, I don't know your name, but when you're leaving. He said, leaving what? He said, you're not going to stay in this church after a pastor embarrassed you in front of those thousands of people, are you? And Tom Bennett put his hand on Elmer Town's chest like that, began to punch it. He said, mister, I don't know who you are, but if that man up there loved you and served you like he served me for these years, he can say what he wants to say from the pulpit. 
and he's still my preacher. I'm not saying you'll never have any battles because you will have some battles. I'm not saying you'll never have to fight for truth because you will have to fight for truth. But I'm saying that 90% of your problems will be solved if you'd surrender to serve. Just take your pen and scratch off the word preach and write serve. My text says, there was to come a man who was to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. I'm worried about our movement. I was afraid we're leaving with our preacher boys the idea that you're supposed to get your BS degree, blow your stack every time you preach. There are people, this lady sits right back here every Sunday morning, is fighting terminal cancer. The lady sits sometimes in the hallway out here. Of course, she can't come in. It's too uncomfortable. She's fighting to, to walk because of Parkinson's disease. Man sits right back here, just had open heart surgery. Young man sits over here, has fought to live for years. They're my people. For 40 years and six months, I've been serving them. And don't you get the idea when you hear me preach around the country that this is a place where dictator Hiles, Fidel Castro Hiles, rules with a rod of iron. No. No, he doesn't. First place, he doesn't rule. He serves. And people say, we believe you could lead now because you convinced us that you love us and you serve us. If I could do nothing this week but send you back home with a new attitude about what it's all about. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. If I understand the Bible correctly, uh, we're supposed to try to be like him. As he is, so are we in this world. As a father has sent me, even so send I you. Very, very, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. The works that I do, shall he do also. As I have loved you, so ought ye love one another. There needs to be a revival. Don't misunderstand me. I'm against everything. <laughs> In case you think I'm pussyfooting tonight, let's list what you're against, list what I'm against. You look like Norman Vincent Peale reincarnate. You look like Robert Schuller. We have strict rules. I'm an old-fashioned King James Bible separatist. Fundamentalist. But I long for the day when you say as loud what you just said when I say you're supposed to be a servant. The devil's crowd was upset. The enemies of God were upset, angry. Why? Because there was come a man who sought for the welfare of his people.
if we, if we went home right now and you had a whole resolve to seek the welfare of that little class that you teach, that classroom in the Christian school, that little Sunday school class you teach, that choir you direct, that children's choir, that youth department, your own children, your own wife, I send you home to serve because there came a man among them who sought for the welfare of the people. And Elmer Towns was shocked. He came to me after the service and said, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. How in the world could that man overlook the way you treated him this morning? I said, ask him. Ask him. Would you bow your heads, please? I doubt very seriously if you came expecting what you got tonight. But you'll be getting some more of it through the week. I think the pendulum may have gone a little too far one way. I don't want it to swing back too far the other way, but I want it to swing back where it ought to be. The Bible said that we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The psalmist said strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. I want you to think about the folks back home right now. Folks that call you mama. Folks that call you daddy. Folks that call you teacher. Folks that call you preacher. Folks that call you coach. Folks that call you leader. I want you to think about them. And I want you right where you are to make a holy vow to God. Tonight, I'm going home to serve. I'm going home to serve. If they'll let me lead, I'll lead. But I won't force it. I'm going home to serve and to love and to care for my people. I joined the ranks of Nehemiah who sought the welfare of his people.